Hey, I'm 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 Scott Cuthbert, CEO of, of Safepedia. And I'm Gavin Karnashan, I'm vice president of BBL Safety. And um, you know, over the last couple of years, uh, Gabe and I have been <clears throat> collaborating, working together kind of behind the scenes. You've seen them at, at Safe, Safety Connect and a lot of other Safepedia events. And <clears throat> we 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 just thought we could get together and talk about safeonomics. Uh, you know, we're we're not safety professionals, we're not providing safety advice, um, you know, but they're there seems to be an underlying or a overarching, you know, theme that safety professionals don't necessarily get the respect they deserve from their organizations, and they don't necessarily understand the language of the business in order to present initiatives or get get uh, investments or budgets, you know, uh, in coming in their in their favor, their direction. So we we thought we could, you know, get together and 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 help on that side of of uh, the, the the safety business with. Uh, with safety folks. Um, yeah, and I, I think this is a, a great time for us to to enjoy some uh, good conversation to some things that Scott and you and I have been curious about over the years of the intersection of business and safety and and how that works and ultimately how it can make the profession better for, for everybody to make businesses work better, to help people work better and to advance the safety profession. So hopefully these discussions will be uh, helpful and interesting and um, something that that we can continue to work on as a community and move forward in to to help the profession improve yeah and if if you're uh, if you're tuning in and listening and you want to you want to be a guest you think you have something to uh, contribute reach out to to Gabe or myself on LinkedIn or you know on our respective websites and connect and we'd love to hear from you and 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 know what uh, what we could do again to to provide some insider advice from a business perspective from a safe economics perspective um you know to our our, our safety family out there um, exactly yeah and i was just going to say like we wanted to kick things off right with our episode i don't know if this is episode zero or episode one but uh we've invited corey pitzer ceo of safe map international to be our first guest and talk about the future of safety and, and and trends and things that he's seen and then some ideas on maybe how to prepare yourself to be a safety professional of the future. So enjoy the conversation. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. British-owned company, mining company called Union Corporation, and then they were taken over by a large um, South African company, General Mining, and it became Genco. And this new company later started to become extremely expansive in their ideas, progressive in their ideas, and grown from a company with 60 mines in South Africa to merge with BHP in Australia and is today the largest mining company in the world. And I have a view that to some degree uh, where safety fit in that organization then um, played a role in its progressive thinking. And, and it's also it also had to do with the, the mindset and the capabilities of one particular individual the CEO of this company was a, a person in the name of Brian Gilbertson, who from memory was actually a nuclear scientist when he became the head of a mining company. So, you know, broad thinker, but he had this vision. And the vision was that um, 
safety um, is a is a is a drag on the business. Safety is uh, killing the business, and because everything that they want to do progressively, fast moving, um, the safety profession uh, were holding it back, tying it down with audits and all kinds of things, which is you know fine as as, as true. But it never became part of the strategic imperative in the organization until, and this is tragically so, and I'm, I'm talking about this particular example, but it's true of, of current day uh, situations, until a disaster in the organization, two disasters. Uh, one was uh, the Kinross mine disaster, which killed 177 people, massive shock into the organization. The CEO got uh, got fired. A new CEO got appointed. This guy, and he was just appointed. Another disaster happened. Eighteen people killed. Twenty-eight people killed. Anyway, um, the the uh, this is the thing. If there is no trigger in an organization that triggers this kind of rethinking who we are and what do we need to do about safety the realization that, that safety can kill our business or the lack of it like bp had paid billions for the disasters it experienced and and yet um and and, and you know everybody you know they write books about how bp how bad bp was and is and uh, what mistakes they made and there's lots of books and documentaries but it's, they were on the verge of becoming um, an organization that drove safety far more progressively than any other organization. Uh, they were the first early adopters of this whole concept of high reliability organization and were making huge strides in it. And then this disaster struck. And now they're the dog of the industry and they lost billions in the process. Now, that kind of trigger in an organization can get the, can get the CFO and the CEO uh, to suddenly pay attention that uh, this this could put our this could put us out of business. Now nobody needs that in order to to get ourselves on the on the drawing board in the in the in the board to get ourselves in the board thinking in terms of um, uh, in terms of uh, strategic planning a strategic direction in the organization. But the times that I've been involved in board meetings recently. It is almost tragic what the discussion about safety is all about. Hmm. It is no different than this discussion that's being held at the toolbox meeting with a supervisor where they had an accident. The board meetings are very much looking at accidents and very much looking at the accident rates. And, you know, if you have that kind of focus in, at a board meeting level, and this is the metrics that they that they need at the board level, because that's their legal exposure. So I, I understand that. But if that's the discussion, um, you're not you're not thinking strategically in this particular regard. You're almost um, you're almost uh, everything else you do is progressive, strategic. Safety is operational and tactical at the very best. There are exceptions. There are organisations that I've dealt with that. Uh, they, they actually developed proper strategic plans in the organization at a high level and adopted at a high level. Uh, and here's one, one client that I heard the other day where the, usually the safety people would come and make presentations at the board. You know, this is our graphs and, and, you know, and this is how, how good we are and everybody sits and nod and some of the board, made it, board members sleep. 
Uh, I'm just saying that tongue in the cheek. Uh, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> not going to name names or anything. <laughs> but, but here's what the COO of this organization said. Uh, the safety people, I'm not going to do any presentations to the board anymore because I'm the safety leader in the organization. I'm the CEO. I'm the safety leader. Now, just think about the implication of that. What is the CEO going to discuss? C COO. The COO is going to discuss safety at strategic level. So maybe it's a structural change almost at board levels that needs to be done in order to make this, dis this, this discussion go that way, that, that direction. And, um, and, and, and that's just the one side of it uh, from, from, from just from what you just said. So um, just a reflection on that specific area is how we are structured. What are we, what kind of questions the board ask? Right. You know, it, it, that determines the questions the board asks determines what everyone else in the business is doing because that's what is being needed that's that's what i need to deliver and the reporting process in the business the esg reporting whatever the reporting is that determines the activities right. not necessarily the operation activities because that all these reports can be clumped on and clamped on and and done and, and polished and sent up um but how many people spend their time preparing reports and then what is being done in the, in the business? Yeah. I think what's interesting about that too, is that um, it, it's, it's kind of like that saying, whatever is measured gets managed. I think the, the, the downside of that can also happen where if you are measuring the wrong things, if you're paying attention to the wrong things, you're probably also managing the wrong things. So if you are yeah. just looking at something like accident rates, which could be, all retroactively um, retroactive, then the problem is that it's hard to go to a strategic standpoint and and move forward because everything that you're looking at has already happened. You're just reacting to to the metrics that you see without actually moving forward and and changing something in the future. Uh, absolutely. The, there's no doubt in my mind that that's the, the root of the problem. Um, but it also, you, you, you can't expect the board to, to talk about anything else uh, because they've got legal exposures. And the, uh, the, 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 the OSHAs, the government organizations, they, me they measure you in terms of the accidents you're having or not having. Right. And you get punished for that. Uh, you're going to get dragged to court for that. And so they have to look at it. But that's unfortunately the trap that we're in. Um, and uh, so, so, but uh, uh, the thing we just said there, what, what worries me sometimes is that it says what, what gets measured gets managed. Um, but also then what gets measured, uh, gets fudged in order to be managed. And, and, and there's no doubt that organizations are obliged. I mean, you look at a, a construction company. And they, or you know, or like in the case of BP and TransOcean, this is um, this is a, um, a client and a, and a service provider. Uh, now there's this huge focus. If, if if there's an accident on my premises and it's a, a subcontractor that has the accident, I am legally exposed to that. So what do I do? I say to these guys uh, that's coming to work on my site, uh, how many accidents you've had? Uh, what your shows your accident rate? And of course, if you don't, if you don't have a good accident, you're not getting the job. So what does the service provider do? They, they will hide everything and anything. 
in order to not go out of business. You can't blame them. So now you get this this toxic spiral in, in the organization. And all organizations have sub uh, have contracting companies working, doing work for them. And in fact, if you take in consideration, what kind of work do we contract out? Our high-risk work, uh, because that reduces our own exposures. But now these, these guys are now doing a high-risk work. And then we negotiate contract and terms with them. And we grind them down on the cost of the contract. So the unit cost, etc. So they have to come in with bare minimum costs, but they have to give you a top of the range safety system that in which they have no accidents. Well, that's clearly impossible. So what's going to happen? You're going to find fudging. You're going to find distortion. You're going to have manipulation, whatever you want to call it in order to satisfy those requirements and get and, and get contracts. Yeah, I like the direction that this is this is headed already, where it's looking at things like, like the metrics or discussions with the board. Um, it seems like this is not a field or an area where a lot of safety professionals get, um, get some input and get get a chance to really play and understand the language that's spoken by, by the C suite or by the board. Um, I mean, just to a quick example of this before we jump into the intros. I mean, I, there was someone that had, had sent a um, some statistics of, or, or even some results from their, their organization of, of some, some incidents and incident rates. And I, I started layering some, or asking some questions about, okay, well, where, how do you tie dollars to this? And after not that long, kind of figuring out, oh, wow, there is a way to actually come up with a metric to tie dollars to some of these things. And this this stage professional I was talking to was saying, wow, this is I've not looked at it like this before. I'm like, oh, my gosh, how could you not look at it like this? Yeah, <laughs> this is really interesting. Yeah. Um, but I think it's something that that a lot of people don't are in this profession. They might not know how to take information or data and translate it to something where a business leader would be able to understand it and take action on it. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, there's some um, yeah, there's some interesting notions about um, about the financial aspect of safety that um, that you know from my perspective is probably uh, if if we can just jump into that um, an, an experience I had is, was this that um, the financial people pay no attention to safety in this organization, not, not generally. Um, and so they were involved in leadership training, safety leadership training that I present in the organization. And they were then asked to fill in leadership 360s of people that work for them who did come to the training. And then they said, no, this has got nothing to do with us. We're sitting in an office and we, and eventually the uh, CFO was convinced by the COO to come to the, to the leadership training. And that changed his total perspective on safety. He became one of the biggest um, um, su supporters of the safety program in the organization, the large gold mining company. And to the point, if you think about it in this way, what if, if the, if the C-suite suits, if they arrive on site, sometimes with a corporate plane, you know, and it's all looking good and they all throttle out to the, to the boardroom of the, of the mine site and they chat and they fly off. 
Uh, but what happens if the CFO and the CEO and these top people, if they actually get out into the workplaces and they start talking, engaging, kicking tires with people and talking about safety, the CFO talking about safety, that sends a very powerful message. And um, and so how can we get the the, the the financial silo in the organization to to pay attention to to this aspect? And I'm not too sure if it's which one should be coming first, whether it's us paying attention to the financial side of safety, the safety profession, uh, and, and or the other way around. Now, us paying attention to the safety uh, to the financial side. Um, and, and, and I know there's been always, you know, the cost of safety, uh, what we can do in safety to add to the bottom line of the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds good in theory. Uh, my experience is that there's a risk involved in that. If you, in your organizational culture, if your message about safety is, we want you to be safe, so we can make more profit. You are on the wrong track. Right. That's gonna be. That's not gonna fly with nobody in the business. So, if it does add to the bottom line and does add to the profit line of the organization, great. Then that's what I also believe it should be. We should not be a milestone. No, no milestone. What is the other word? Uh, um, a millstone. Roadblock. Milestone, not a milestone. Yeah. We should not be a millstone around the neck of the organization. We should be a milestone in its in its uh, uh, in its uh, 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 business. So, but you, the, 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 it's all around the culture of the organization. And then what are perceptions of people around that? That's the that's the risk, the downside of it. So that that brings up a, a thought that I had whenever you tie dollars to to something that that it, it almost becomes this moral quandary, because if you take it to it's it's like basically logical end, you're essentially putting a dollar amount on on a person, right? It, you're, you're putting the dollar amount on the worker, but we do this all the time. I mean, you do it with with a fully loaded hourly rate or a labor rate for for an, an individual or a position. But now it's um, if you're looking at their safety, now you're starting to put dollar amounts and dollar values on a person's well-being that I, I can see how that could be a really sticky situation and can and can go down a wrong path if it's if it's not utilized properly. But I think in the sense of the of the business analysis side of things, it has to be put in those terms because the business exists to actually be profitable. Right. Yeah. I 100% agree. Sorry, Scott. I 100% agree with you. Uh, I also believe that we have become too precious about uh, about safety and about its uh, mm-hmm. and about the organization that that we're there for the well-being of employees. We're not there for the well-being of employees. No organization is designed primarily to look after the well-being of employees, except a church, uh, I, you know, but that's not a profitable organization. <laughs> so, so we have to pr- probably get a little bit more realistic about, uh, it, and we meaning uh, employees in an organization. We have huge expectations of organizations these days as, um, you know, and, 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 and we are we are so easily annoyed and offended and everything um, that, uh, uh, you know, and, and I'm talking about this whole woke um, direction, which for an old person like me, 
Uh, I find it extremely annoying that everybody is so woke and so offended about everything. And it comes back to what you just said. It is, in, in many ways, it is about uh, what is the business there for? Uh, what is the, no, not what is the business there for? What is the business of the business? And I, and I agree with 100% about that. But that does not necessarily mean that that satisfies the people we want to come, we want to come and work for us. Right. right. And what, what's interesting about the, uh, when I was looking at this, I had done a, um, a lecture series for, a, for an, uh, a master's program where we were talking about the uh, business acumen for safety professionals. And, uh, you know, I, it was it, almost kind of fun to poke at the, the concept of safety first. And it's like, okay, well, we, are, we can agree that safety is not first as a, in a business, no matter what the posters may say on the wall or the, the email signatures. It's not first. So what, what, where does it fall? So first of all, making money is first for a business. That's why any business exists, is to become profitable. The second would be, the, the second most important is the production. It's the thing that makes the money. That's, that's what's second. Third would be anything that supports the production. So maybe safety falls into the third in, in that, that hierarchy. But then looking at safety, um, first of all, are we satisfied with the fact that we're part of production support, that it isn't first in the organization. From a business standpoint, if, if you have a CFO or a CEO or anybody else in the C-suite looking at their company, if let's say in that mining company, their job is not safety. Their job is to, to make money off of the things that they're extracting from that mine. Uh, safety just supports those operations. So is it that safety professionals need to understand that that's the case and that safety is not necessarily going to ever be first from a business standpoint. And if that's the case, what do we do with it? Hmm. Yeah, I think we, 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 we're, we're in a, in a, in a really bind if we, if we have a look at, at and, and, and I, you know, it's interesting that you say safety third, because that's Mike Rowe's um, website. And I, and I like the idea of that. <laughs> it kind of like puts it in perspective, but I think the problem is if we talk about safety, then we talk about containment of the operations. We talk about putting controls into place so that the organization keeps on track and that it doesn't deviate and so the people that doesn't get injured, etc. But if we change the terminology and we also change the location of that terminology, if we look at risk as the terminology and the management of risk and we, uh, and we have the clear understanding that the management of risk has got two sides. The one side is opportunity, and the other one is the downside is the failure. And the, the, the more risk you can take, and I always love this analogy that I've uh, used in the past, and this is the, the, the hurdler running a 100 meters hurdle. And the purpose of that hurdler is to run as fast as possible to, to be the champion. That's the business now. Think about it in terms of the business then. Right. So the safety professional tells the hurdler, in order to not fall and break your leg, etc., jump as high as you possibly can over every hurdle to miss them. The risk professional will tell the hurdler, jump as low as possible over that hurdle. You 
barely have to touch everyone. That's the margin that you've got to operate on. That'll make you the fastest. And that's why if we think in safety terms and in risk terms, we come up with different uh, different scenarios. And that's the, that's the upstream focus, I think, that we're missing because safety is added on at the downstream level of the business. That's where it goes wrong. That's where we put the safety controls into place. But the messaging about this was very much, and Scott and I are doing the series about Deming, that had the focus was in quality exactly the same. Right. Catch the, 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 the quality deficiencies at the back end and we fix them all up with inspections. And Deming, Deming changed it all and said, we build quality into the process. So we build risk management upstream into the process where it's part of the operating model of the organization and not separate from it. Hmm. That, I think, is, is, is the future of it. That we, we cannot continue on this path. Yeah. Adding was, <clears throat> oh, sorry. I was going <clears> to <throat> make that point, so I'm glad you brought up the Deming uh, series that we're, that we're doing because it, it's, a, it's about baking quality into the process, not adding it you know, at, at the end, right? And so how would you... Again, thinking about most of the safety professionals that are out there working for, you know, medium to large organizations, not necessarily an enterprise type organizations, how would they, uh, it's easy to say, hey, let's build risk, you know, uh, in, into the process, but how, how could they get started with that within their organization, mm. kind of taking it upstream? Well, I, I think and, and there may be a, a bigger problem behind it. Um, I think that, that this risk engineering is, um, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a production function, is an engineering function, or whatever the production process of the organization is. So the central production process, um, the people who look after that, they are not necessarily trained in the concepts of risk and risk management and so on. Um, they are not trained in the, in, in, in the skills and techniques of people management, which is also largely what they end up doing. And so, so if you look at, okay, how do we start, how do we start this or, or, or where is it going to have to happen? I think it is going to have to happen in the curricula of those technical professions in order to make that happen in the organizations that they eventually get deployed, whatever engineering they're going to do um, in, in, in that or they're going to do. But now we're, we are here now. So what do we do now? So we still have the structure. Safety sits on the one side, production on the, on the other side as a, as a functional entity in the organization, etc. So maybe what we should be doing is have a look at how do we um, ex, uh, take extreme measures to limit the safety function in an organization, how to reduce as much as possible to the bare minimum, and then this comes back to that uh, what what I mentioned as uh, you know as in that slide, as the future of safety with the three forks. Um, if you look at the 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 future of work, as such, where we're going to be in 10, 15, and twenty years from now, with a rapid uh, uh, emergence of industry 4.0 and 5.0, whatever, um, and you have this massive technological advances coming our way and integrated into the organizations. 
and taking a hold of the safety function in the organization with censoring and the internet of things and whatever. So are we now equipped as a safety profession now for that eventuality? Right. I don't think we are. Yeah. Um, I think we're still operating on 1960s and 70s kind of production processes in most organizations to some degree uh, at this stage, you know, structural, uh, functionally designed, etc. Uh, but this new organization is going to look so much different. The new organization is going to uh, be ripped apart from what we do now. Hmm. So I don't think we're ready for that. So we have to look at what are we going to do as a safety profession to change fundamentally to be ready for that. It sounds like there's what, what you're implying, and and, and I, I agree with this, is that the the fact that we refer to the, the safety side of the business and the operation side of the business really is that's that's part of the problem is that safety should be more integrated into the entire system itself it's not a separate part of oversight or or any sort of that you know in its own silo it really should be baked into the production process itself and it, it doesn't when i say production i don't mean even just the manufacturing side of things but really just operationally the way that the company works it should be part of the it's it's part of the sops it's part of how you uh, how you do your business it's not a separate group that is trying to essentially cramp the style of, of yeah. the business itself it should be part of how they do things and if it's part of how you do things it should be making it better um it's i mean i kind of think of in a like a race car there, there are all the pieces that are on a high performance vehicle are there for a specific reason. If it's to increase downforce, increase traction, um, it's to make it perform better. Uh, if there's a part that is not adding to the performance, it's removed. It's just additional weight. Um, but safety should be part of the entire machine to help it all work better instead of just being the oversight because someone says you have to have oversight. Uh, there should, I, I think that's really one when the organization will embrace the business case for safety. Well, and as it depends on uh, the, the question of that is absolutely there in the sense of um, the question of how much risk do we take? Right. Um, and, you know, you talk about the racing car, uh, probably a very good example of, uh, again, to go as fast as possible. Um, and so if we understand the risk, and the taking of risk as against the avoidance of risk. That's the thing, that's safety. Safety is the avoidance of risk, fundamentally. Uh, the alleviation of risk, the reduction of risk, the substitution, and you look at the hierarchy of control. There is everything in there is about, is a millstone in the organization. Um, except the, uh, if, you, if you could really talk about innovation in the organization, there is no provision for that in the hierarchy of control hmm. in that sense. So because it wants to reduce risk, that's the heart and soul of it. And I say we should optimize risk and we should optimize risk taking. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean shortcutting and don't care and just, you know, whatever you want to do. Obviously, it doesn't mean that, but it comes back to that hurdler. It is that's a higher level of risk taking operating closer to the edge um, in and, and that's we can only do that if we 
if we really understand that the operating process needs to be optimized in terms of quality, in terms of risk optimization. But we don't have that philosophy. We don't have that philosophy in any shape or form in safety. It is about the response to failure. You look at everything in safety today, whether it's the new view or the old view, um, uh, it is safety differently, uh, uh, hop. It's all about the response to failure. Right. And, 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 and or largely the response to failure. It is not how do we how do we optimize um, the, the 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 opportunity of the organization? We right. don't think in those terms. Yeah, and I think it's you know I guess where I'm as you know thinking about the practitioners again out, out in the field, and I'm kind of circling back around the same topic. But you know you're on the you're on the, you're a contractor on the job site. You've got workers in the field. You obviously want them to be wearing the proper PPE and identifying the hazards and eliminating those risks. So how do you, like, but how would you go about starting to change the mindset, um, you know, on the, on the work face about, about uh, optimizing versus eliminating, um, you know, those, those risks, right? So I'm going to do the terrible interviewer tactic and I'm going to answer yeah. your question with a question back to you, Scott. Yeah. Um, and the reason why is because you're the, you are a co-founder of a company. So you're, you're an entrepreneur. You have taken on a certain degree of risk, right. probably higher than a lot of other people would, would be comfortable with. I mean, so explain to me from your perspective as, as a founder of a company, because ultimately if you have people that are at the executive management level, um, you know, even at the higher leadership levels, their appetite for risk is probably different than the people below them. You know, that's why they've, they've kind of stuck their neck out to, to get into that position. I mean, CEO stands for a career ending opportunity. So that's why, <laughs> that's why they're there. So give us a peek into your thought process as a co-founder of a company, um, as in executive management, how do you view risk? What is your appetite for that? Like, yeah, it's, it's a good question. And I, and I think I, I <laughs> it's funny cause I tell the, tell the story about how, uh, my wife was hanging out with her friend and her friend was talking about how her husband loves to go to the casino and gamble. And my wife said, Oh, you know, I'm so lucky because Scott doesn't like to go to the casino. He doesn't really like playing cards and gambling. And I, I said, yeah, unless my house is on the line, I'm really not interested in, in the, uh, in the game. Right. Um, <clears throat> but I think it's, it, you know, definitely have a, 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 it's a risk reward, right. And willing to risk more in order to, potentially have a have a higher reward but the you know i'm not the i'm not the worker you know on on the job site uh climbing the scaffold um i'm 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 we're not running a construction company but you know i'm i'm taking financial risks let's say not not uh health risks right or or safety risks so so it's easy to say, well, if I lose any everything, I could start over again. <clears throat> but you know, if if you lo lose a limb or lose your life or lose your capacity to to work again, I think it's a different a different level of of risk, right? And mm. and and um, it's easy, well, it, relatively easy to get you know people to come on board, you know, with a with a startup kind of company and and, and assume a little bit of risk as as employees. <clears throat> you know, knowing that 
there's maybe some more potential and, and more opportunity and autonomy than in a big organization. Um, so, so how do we how do we create that? You know, on the on the job site with iron workers and pipe fitters and electricians. You know, because they're uh, the the risk they're taking. They're getting paid hopefully really well <laughs> for for the the job they're doing. But but how do we how do we build in that risk optimization? I think that Corey was talking about knowing that they could. Um, you know, suffer suffer serious health consequences that you can't just uh, uh, say, "Well, I'll, I'll do a better job next time." You kind of, you know, it could it could be career ending opportunity, right? Right. Like you said so. That's um, you know, I, I like I, again. I think that a lot of the people in our community in the are 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 those lone wolf safety officers or working in small departments, and they're. They, I think they buy into what you know Corey's talking about, but they don't know how to go about starting to um, create that change or 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 have those conversations with with executive leadership, right? I think they're right. they're like like Corey described again my my background, although I'm not a safety professional, it was definitely in those industrial construction and mining environments where I was I was part of a safety committee, um, you know with 15 you know vp director level safety officers and and owners uh you know the exxon mobile types and and the the contractors and they they said hey look we're burying the bodies because you asked us to right <laughs> like we're we're fudging the numbers so that we can get the next job you know and if if somebody gets injured we put them in a lawn chair and give them a, a flag and then we we tell them that they're they're now instead of being a pipe fitter they're the yard uh you're the safety manager yeah well the, the yeah the guy making make, making sure you know the only authorized vehicles come on site so it's modified work duty instead of lost time injury you know all that right. kind of stuff everybody's heard that before so so how do you go about um like other than hiring Corey to come in and talk to your ceo which is definitely one course of action you could take how, how do you go about you know doing it as a safety professional and and i think again in my limited experience i think the safety professionals who who step up and speak out um either one get fired <laughs> you know or two get promoted because because now you know you're you're taking some ownership and you're trying to influence the organization and and become a, a leader whereas i think traditionally they're trained a little bit to be compliance officers right and and um, you know, so but but I don't I don't know what the specific you know tactics or strategies would be for um, for starting to 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 not implement those changes, but at least get the mindset of your organization moving in the right direction, so that you could bring those changes in at at some future point. So, uh, non-answer to your <laughs> to your 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 question in my typical sales approach, but. Uh, well, it's funny. I, I think I, I keep coming back to um, Corey's example of of the hurdler, and I think that there's that is that's probably the best metaphor for risk management that I've heard. Um, it makes complete sense to me. Um, and so maybe it because it sounds like if you if you look at the the different roles in an organization, let's say very very basic, you've got the executive management. Let's say you have a founder or an executive who's used to a certain type of risk. You've got the the pipe fitters and the welders that are also used to a certain level of risk. That's why they 
decided to get into that line of work and continued to do it. And, uh, and so they're accepting those risks. It seems like the safety professional is the one that's kind of in the middle that is, is stuck. And maybe it's just helping them to understand even that concept of risk versus safety. Uh, even from a very small point that helps them to kind of even be okay with accepting certain risks, or is that just, is that too much to ask? <laughs> yeah, I think the, um, we, 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 we bound by our focus. We bound by our professional, uh, focus safety. Um, you know, we, we, and, and, and we are driven to certain actions, the kind of actions that, that uh, Scott just mentioned, uh, where we, we have to have compliance at all levels about everything. And what, are, what am I getting punishment for as a safety professional organization? I get punishment on a regular basis because of injuries that people have with their hands, slip trips and falls, small injuries. And that's, this is the data that goes up to the board to link back to our earlier discussion. And if there's an increase in my thrift uh, uh, rate, um, the organization gets upset, the board gets upset because we are less safe. Even though it has got nothing to do with how more or less safe the organization is. Those numbers mean nothing. Uh, we're talking about minute, minute little incidents compared to the incredible amount of decision making that goes on in the organization, the activities goes on. And now you have one person who steps over a rock, twists his ankle, and suddenly we have a lost time injury and everybody is uh, reacting. So we're getting, we, and, and, and we have, and this is the other side of thing that, that maybe we haven't spoken about, uh, we have financial incentives and disincentives associated with these things. And that's right. the, the this financial side comes in. And so, so what we're actually doing, um, most organizations, I think, uh, that has safety as part of their bonuses, etc., they are no doubt they are punishing uh, their uh, people uh, for bad luck, and they are rewarding their people for good luck. And no one knows what any one person is doing. To any, any no, no one person knows in the organization what am I doing to contribute to this bonus that I've been given uh, for safety, which is pretty good last month. No one, no one fell over something. Uh, I don't know what I've done, and, and, and I don't care because I get the money. Um, but this is the distortions that are happening. So you talk about what risks we, uh, what the, you know, what, what the top level, what the bottom level, what the uh, middle level accept as terms of risk. Um, that, that risk appetite thing is absolutely uh, uh, driving uh, our organizations because that's what they're getting punished for. Hmm. But I think um, if, if, I had, uh, if I had my own company, a uh, big company that manufactures uh, a new kind of car, uh, not electric car, but a fancy car. And I've got thousands of employees. Um, and I had the opportunity, I'd say to them, I don't care if you have a slip, trip, or fall accident. I don't care if you have an ankle injury. Yeah, sorry about that, but that doesn't, you, you know, you, nothing's going to happen to you. But I do care if there's any risk out there that could kill you or change your life as an injury, that I will do everything I can as the owner of this business to prevent that from happening to you. Hmm. Because 
I think I don't, I don't, I, I can't accept that as part of my responsibility, my accountability that I allow you to be exposed to that kind of risk. So I'm, I'm, I care about that. But small little trips and falls and 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 these kind of things, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bother with that, and I'm not gonna give you bonuses for that. And and and, and I don't know if that's even possible in any shape or form in an organization. Yeah. That should be the focus. That if we can, if we, and and, and it's possible to focus exclusively in an organization, not exclusively, primarily focus on the things that can kill people in the business. And I, and I don't like this, you know, we used to look at them in terms of cardinal rules and golden rules. And these days we say it's the sticky stuff, the stuff that can kill you. Uh, but it's, it's trivializing that, you know, it's trivializing the seriousness of those injuries, uh, sticky stuff, you know, I don't like that term. Because it, it it doesn't equate to to uh, the, the 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 value of a person in an organization as a human being, and that they don't get seriously hurt or injured in my business. Right, and I think again back to my earlier example, but a lot of the contractors up on on some of these sites say if you get if you get injured and you don't report it, that's immediately you're going to get fired immediately. Um, but but then if you do report it we're going to hide it you know so that so that our our uh, incident rates you know are are uh, modified so that we can get the next contract so the, the and you've talked about this a lot Corey, but just the openness and i think what you're getting at is like hey if if you if you have a near miss if you have a slip if if there's a you know a minor cut or pinch point or something <clears throat> let's talk about it and and let's let's not worry about it. Let's not count it as a negative uh, incident. But let's just make sure that it doesn't turn into, um, you know, you you trip into the open, you know, you know, having a trip and spraining your ankle spine. But we don't want you tripping and falling into the the open pit, right? Or the or the saw blade, or or you know, having your arm pulled in, you know, as a as if it happens again, right? So how do we get um, our organizations uh, oh, get, getting that transparency and that open dialogue so that we're not, like you say, punishing people as soon as they they report something. And, and especially the safety person. I mean, it, a lot of times they're not even there when when things happen, but they're the, you know, they're the, they shoot the messenger when when they come, you know, come to the manager meetings or the board meetings with with those uh, with those reports. Right. So mm-hmm. how can we I, and I know. Um, or you, you've talked about it a little bit, um, you know, some examples where you've called out, you know, executives for for that kind of uh, stifling uh, uh, management style. And, and so how could, uh, again, you know, coming back to our, our our safety professional, how could they go about tabling this, you know, and maybe trying to op- get the organization to open up around around these conversations? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think the, uh, um, the 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 message in the organization about safety, um, the central message in the organization is, and, and I always say, and I've done this many times when I did this uh, elimination of fatalities program for this mining company. So we'd start at the beginning of the week with the management team and say, right, let's see how your safety, what are you doing safety? Because then we're going to talk to the workers. And so we asked the manager, what is the reason you want to be safe? Hmm. 
And it's, it, 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 it is not a simple question. Why do you want to be safe? And then they come with all these highfalutin terms and lovely uh, metaphors and ethical jargon, etc. And then I say to them, okay, that's great. I'm going to talk to the workers now. I'm going to ask them the same question. Why, does, why do you want to be safe? Not the worker. I'm going to ask them, why do they think you as the manager want to be safe? And do you think they're going to give me that same answer? And that's when they start cringing and saying, no, I just want to you know? Uh, but in the end, in the end, that is the, con the, the conduit in the organization, the total conduit in the organization. <clears throat> and, 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 I, and I talked to a, a fellow consultant one day, and he said something great at, at a presentation. He said, the CEO makes the first decision in the company. The guy at the front end, that pipe wrench guy, he makes the last decision. And you better hope it's the same decision. <laughs> and there, that, therein lies the challenge. Right. For us as safety professionals, is our job is to facilitate that message. But we first have to figure out what the message is. Hmm. And right. what it really is so that we can support and, and we're not gonna we're gonna we're not gonna make it happen. That's the line management's function. That's their accountability to make that message the same one. But we are safety professionals. We must facilitate that. Just like the the HR function, the people function, uh, they they can facilitate that too, and play a role in it. But it's not our accountability. It's accountability starting at the top of the organization and going right through the middle. And 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 I've said this many times too, um, is that we have effectively cut the middle management and the supervisor out of the safety business. We've effectively alienated them and uh, uh, siloed them and kept our focus on the worker because these are the people who have the mistakes. These are the people who have the accidents. We're going to sort them out. We're going to send them all kinds of messages. We're going to train them. In the end, it's the supervisor that determines everything in the business. And that's the decision making that we have to facilitate. Yeah. And I think that was, you know, back to the Deming principles, right, of, of <clears throat> that, that, that was getting those mid-managers thinking about quality and building it into the process rather than uh, yeah, yeah. checking for it at the end of end of production. One one thing you touched on, and we, we kind of glossed over a little bit, but the the future of, of safety and, and I mean, I, I'm not going to pretend like I know where, where things are going, but we are seeing this exponential explosion of, of technology. And, and I think from, from my perspective uh, at Safepedia, we sit at an interesting crossroads because we're talking to safety professionals on a, on a weekly, monthly basis. And then we're talking to, to safety vendors on a, on a regular basis as well. And so smart, you know, smart PPE or, or AI vision, uh, computer vision uh, cameras that are, that are watching uh, the the production floor or the or the uh, loading docks, you know those sorts of things. <clears throat> and so we we, you know, I can see, you know, in a not not too distant future, a point where we're not writing incidents reports anymore. We're not doing hazard identification. Like all of that is being taken care of by technology, and and then the safety professional, I think, is left. Um, Again, ho hopefully, you know, being a leader, asking questions and, and understanding how to 
modify those processes or or design new processes to build that that risk management in there rather than rather than just spending all their time you know filling out forms and and uh, submitting reports right so if 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 in the future in the not too distant future if the machines <laughs> you know are recording the incidents identifying the hazards creating those reports you know what are safety professionals going to be going to be focused on and and how do you stay how do you stay relevant in that in that future if if we are still there in the future yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, and this may be where, uh, if I could show the slide that uh, that you yeah. you mentioned. Um, uh, let me just um, uh, share this, and you can. And and this is the uh, the crossroads that I was um, referring to, or you were referring to. Um, that if you think about safety in terms of where we were and where we're going. Um, we in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, to, to this day, we operate strongly with safety management systems, um, functional systems that we add on to the organization. Um, in the 80s and 90s, we had behavior-based safety coming to the fore and made tremendous impact on safety on, and brought the whole issue of the human factor a bit to the light, uh, a lot to the light in, in, in so many ways. Um, and that started to slowly become known as safety one in, the, in, in these, these days with the advent of safety two and safety differently. Um, so the safety two and safety differently fraternity, which I'm part of uh, for many years, um, start to look back at safety one, BBS and safety management systems as evil, as a you know, wrong way to do safety. Um, but I my view is this, that there is, in the central way, there is never going to be a, a, a avoidance of compliance. You talked about if there's an incident, uh, a chat bot is going to write the report, and, you know, and, and things like that. And I think that that, that, that compliance levels, uh, monitoring with amazing capabilities, with Internet of Things, etc., safety compliance will continue to exist. But because of this whole advent of technology, I think this system engineering is the is the focus of the future. We're going to we're going to have to contend with enormous shifts and changes in technology around us and integrate that into the workplaces, into into every aspect. We don't need to talk about that. But I think, and this comes back to what I said earlier on, um, I don't care if you have a slip trip or fall sprain of the ankle, but I do care if there's something that can kill you. And that's a critical risk focus. I think we have to develop, and critical risk management has been a long time in existence in Australia, in the mining industry, in the mining industry internationally, and it's slowly coming to the fore in other industries now. But we start to focus more exclusively on serious risking organization, if I can call it that. Now, I think that's the one direction that is going to become a lot, a lot more prevalent. And safety one and safety management systems is going to disappear into that. The human resource or people function, you talk about psychological safety, well-being, psychosocial hazards, organizational culture, that's their domain, that's their expertise. We are safety people. We don't have much expertise in that field. I mean, some of us have, there's not some, several have, because we're psychologists and we started bringing this whole safety two concept into the fore. But 
in the future, the human resource function, that's where that is going to sit. And safety too, and BBS will disappear into that. So what's left? Well, the safety profession isn't there anymore. You know, I think uh, we're going to disappear. And there's going to be these two groupings, and even those two groupings will eventually merge into the future. I, it's just my speculation into business optimization, which takes us back to the right of the start of this discussion, that where it's really part of the, op the, the, the business operations and optimizing the purpose of the business uh, in the end. And that, I think, is where, where the future of safety is going to be. That's pretty cool. I, I like that idea that it's that it, it is going to merge. It, it could be a long time before we get there, but I think that it, it's it's already begun. It's already moving in that direction. And I, I think even from the perspective of of, of looking at how uh, the safety profession has been viewed even since you know, 2019 and 2020, um, especially in 2020 with COVID. Um, and it, it was always fascinating to me that uh, it seemed like safety professionals, you, you either went, one of two things would happen to you. Either you were, you became the new compliance officer and you were the one that you're, you're stuck there checking off the boxes and, um, or you were deemed as too expensive and you were, you were cut from, from payroll because they didn't have a lot of people that were on site anyway. So why do we need this person handing out band-aids and, and doing all this stuff? And, and, and it was a complete, uh, misunderstanding of the value of the safety professional. And I wonder if, uh, to go back to your comment, Scott, for a safety pro, to how do they actually demonstrate their value in, in their business? I think that it, it starts with even understanding and, and creating a shared uh, definition of what risk is. For the organization, I, Corey, you you alluded to it a little bit that the safety professional is is kind of in the middle, and when something is in the middle, you can either be a roadblock or you can be the bridge, and I think that safety professionals, if we can start even with understanding what does risk mean for the production workers, what does risk mean for the executive management, and then for the organization as a whole, and then start to build that bridge and say, hey we understand risk as this, this is what allows this company to exist. It allows us to all have our jobs to have, you know, meaningful work and start with that and having that shared definition of risk and then understanding, okay, now that we understand, it's almost like, here's how high those hurdles are that we're running by. Now, what do we do to make sure that we can go as fast as possible as a group and still remain safe? while having the shared definition of risk and accepting or having a shared acceptance of that risk. Um, I, that could possibly be a way to start. Yeah, and I, I think that, oh, sorry, <clears throat> Corey, if I jumped in. No, no. No, I was, I was just gonna say too, that I think that, <clears throat> you know, one of, the, one of the things that we hear is that, um, you know, there, there isn't a clear path from safety officer to the C-suite. Um, I, I talk about this a fair bit, but if you're in <clears throat> engineering or in finance or marketing or sales, you know, there's probably there's probably a seat at the boardroom table or the C-suite table for you if if that's you want to, you know, progress through the organization. But safety, there's not really that that clear path. And so I think <clears throat> that um, and 
again, <laughs> not career advice, uh, but you know, more of a question of like, what are those adjacent things that that safety professionals can focus on or or work on from a skills perspective, so they do become that bridge, or they can easily shift, uh, you know, to the risk engineering side or the or the human resources side, and so. Corey, I mean, you you've you've seen a lot more folks in the field. You've seen a lot of people, I think, probably progress through the ranks, you know, within different organizations. And what uh, what kind of career advice would you give to safety professionals now who who might be, um, you know, halfway through, two thirds of the way through their career, um, you know, and then you know, maybe what would you say to safety professionals who are just getting into into safety? Well, I would say I would say a practical starting point could be this. Um, I'm in this mid-sized company. I'm the safety professional. Um, I'll set myself clear goals to address the safety management systems in the organization, whatever they are, and see first of all what of those systems can I eliminate, take out of the business without having any effect, detrimental effect on the risk level of the organization. Are they there for historical reasons? Are they there for purely compliance reasons? What can I do to change that? That's the one thing. The second thing is those that you can't take out of the business, that you can't eliminate, how can I speed them up? How can I prove that what I've done here have added to the production process efficiency? And therefore to the bottom line of the organization you don't have to quantify the the, the the dollars in the end because that can take you you know forever all you have to do is how do i contribute to the improvement and the the making more lean the making more agile of production processes of whatever the business i'm in and make that a substantial part of your business as against what can i introduce to bug people with what can i introduce to, to let the workers now have to do and to slow them down and whatever that i think there there has to be some really simple practical ways that the safety professional can do to that and i think safety professional that does this will find a, a seat at the at the at the top table of the organization i'd, I'd agree with that too i think that there's there has to be a certain level of curiosity that a safety professional will have about the the organization that they're in um, something I noticed with some of the safety professionals that I've talked to is that they, they love the safety profession, but there are often times that they don't like the companies that they work for. Uh, so clearly there's some sort of a disconnect. It's not that they are tired of safety or are, are sick and tired of, of, of dealing with all the safety related topics and issues and, and thought processes and, and things like that. It's, I, I think that there is a disconnect between how they view safety and then the priorities of the organization so you know scott to even answer your question of like some of the practical things that a safety professional can do is even building that sense of curiosity about the place where you work what is it that this person does in their process that that they do for work how does management make decisions who are the players in the game um, and then starting to see where there might be some inefficiencies and they might not even be safety related inefficiencies inefficiencies it could just be a business inefficiency that the safety professional is in a position as the curious individual 
to find solutions in there and, and possibly present them at multiple levels. It could be up to the management, could be up to the the people on in the production floor. Uh, but now you're you're bringing solutions um, instead of, as you said, Corey, introducing all these new things that are just layers upon layers of what is probably already a bureaucratic nightmare. Uh, but if you can make things easier for the business to run and easier for the workers to do their work, maybe not necessarily safer, but start with easier and then see how does safety be part of that easy <laughs> making your well part of that making your work easier process. Right. Kind of a clunky way to say it, but I think I think you know where I'm going with that. Yeah. I think there are lots and lots of uh, uh, bottlenecks and issues inside the production process that are generally become accepted, generally become inherent in the organization, and then has safety implications, you know, uh, fa uh, potential failures. And then, therefore, we add a, a control over that. We add a procedure over that. Uh, instead of looking at how can we optimize that production process itself. And that's an engineering function. But we can, as you say, we can, we can start asking questions in a different way because our primary focus is add-on, not uh, upstream. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good, um, <clears throat> Corey, and I thought I thought you were going to say just, you know, watch more of your webinars on Safepedia, but. Um, <laughs> I can I can do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but but yeah, I think I think that cu curiosity or curious approach, right, of, of asking questions because you are in a unique position as a safety professional to be talking to different people at different levels in the organization and understanding what's going on. Um, you know, definitely, uh, and, and, and something you, you could start tomorrow, right? You don't need to go back to school and get a master's degree or, or become an engineer or a salesperson. You can, you can start asking those questions already in your, in your role. So yeah. I, I did want to mention too, <clears throat> that, uh, you know, we'd never, ne never encourage anybody to, to drink on the job, but we are recording this <laughs> session on Robbie Burns Day. I believe this Robbie Burns Day, yes. Yeah, we didn't yes. we didn't give Corey the heads up, but but Gabe and I both uh, had a wee dram of uh, whiskey on the desk here. Uh, in in not not because we want to drink on the job, but just because we want to, you know, celebrate Robbie Burns and his yes. uh, his wonderful poetry and his uh, dark humor. So I, I think that there's there's some relevance in there with the safety profession, where it's like it's you think about it, it is we're we're knocking on some pretty interesting doors looking at the intersection of business and safety because it, it can be kind of dark it, it, as we said earlier adding adding a dollar value to to people and to the work that we're doing it's it it, it could go it could go south pretty quickly but i think it's up to the safety professional to make sure that those tools are used the the metrics the the processes the technology are used properly so that it actually does something good instead of being, um, you know, we, we don't want to have it be another metric where people are just gaming the system so that they can get their bonus. Yeah. It has to be something that's actually moving the work forward. It's improving people's lives. I think that's where, you know, going back to your slides, Corey, about the future of, of safety, um, those paths, they, they can be, they can be really good and there's still ways to game those systems. And I think it's up to the safety professional to make sure that those paths are on their way to doing something good and not repeating the mistakes that we've had in years past. 
And it, it, it probably goes without saying, regardless of what profession you're in, with, with the advancement of technology and the pace that it's moving, it's going to be the people who can ask the better questions <clears throat> that, that advance rather than the, the people who can efficiently fill out forms or, or uh, compile reports, right? Like that, that's going to be commoditized more than it is today and asking those questions and pushing the boundaries and challenging the status quo is definitely going to be um, where where everybody should be uh, should be focused. So, yeah, I think also um, we uh, and, and and that's maybe collectively as a profession, but um, there, there there are some real good thinking going on in terms of what kind of risks the organization will face in this new world, in this industry 4.0 world, right, um, and would the risks be the same or similar to what we experience now? And if in, 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 in my mind, a bit of reading that I've done on this and a bit of thinking about if we have an organization that is highly technologically driven, um, everything is connected, every worker is connected, everything is censored and measured and, um, um, and metrics are everywhere, big data and small data and every data is everywhere. Um, we as, so for me, one of the, the threats involved in that is that we are going to know less and less of the complex risks in that processes that we're dealing with, because it, things are going to become so safe that we are going to be exposed, more vulnerable to catastrophic risks. If things go wrong in a, such a complex world where everything is so interrelated, uh, modular, etc. Uh, if things go wrong there, uh, there is a, a, a bigger risk of catastrophic events in the future than what we have mm -hmm. in terms of if you think about uh, tight and loose coupling in an organization and, 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 and complexity, that matrix of vision. Uh, um, so are we, are we starting to think about that? Coming back to that question about critical risk, uh, are we starting to make, uh, are, are we starting to have the right questions, the right focus in our business? To start looking out and thinking about this kind of world and a social world uh, that is on the decay that will that will you know people the, the 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 virtual world that we've entered into as a result of COVID forced into is going to continue and going to going to expand more and more people don't want to go to work anymore so we're going to be less and less connected socially so if you talk about you know the social fabric of the organization of the future that is uh, in, immensely under threat. But that's not our function. That's not the safety profession's function. We're not qualified for that. You know, we like to talk about psychosocial hazards and things like that, uh, but we, we, we're we not supposed to because we're not really uh, equipped for that. That's going to the people function. Right. What can we contribute now in that regard to start thinking about that? Hmm. Yeah, that's a great that was a good point. It sounds like we're... Mm. we're we're grabbing a whole bunch of cans and ripping them open. There's worms everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess people will have to tune in for, uh, <clears throat> you know, future episodes to, uh, <clears throat> to find the answer to all of these, uh, these questions. That, that's what's really exciting about this too, is that, I mean, all the questions that we brought up, it feels like the answers still need to be found. They, these are still developing. So now this is this is part of the community aspect. This is where different people jump in with their voices and their experiences. And now we get to start actually building what that future of, of safety looks like. And hopefully it's it's better than the one that we've had before. 
Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thanks so much for joining us, uh, Corey. This is a entertaining and informative and educational uh, discussion and definitely look forward to continuing it on as we go. Great fun. Great fun. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Corey. And, thanks, Gabe. thanks, Scott. And I'll, I'll say uh, in honor of Robbie Burns Day, uh, Lang may your alum reek. Well, I'll just say <laughs> more about <laughs> Nice. <laughs>